So the first item on the agenda is approval of the minutes of the last meeting, January 5th, 2020. Can I take roll call first? Sure. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Trustee Blue. Here. Trustee Esteen. Hmm. Here. Here. There you go. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. Present. Trustee Splendorio. Here. Thank you. We do have a quorum. Okay. Uh, back to the minutes of the meeting of January 5th. Uh, so moved. Can we have a, a motion to approve, please? Okay. So moved. Second. Okay. Do we need a roll call? Yes. Um, Trustee Blue. Yes. Trustee Esteen. Yes. Trustee Fox. Yes. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. Okay, uh, on to <clears throat> section B, information discussion. Uh, B1, the Chief Financial Officer's Report. All right, good evening. Let me share my screen here. slideshow. All right, so this is the December um, financial report. Uh, as always, I'm starting with the volumes. Um, volumes were not particularly good in December, so the volume report is not, uh, not stellar. However, the finance report is quite positive. So um, if you look at the acute discharges here, we were off 10.5%. And when you look at where we were year to date, we were off 7.5%. So December was a much slower month in terms of discharges. Keep in mind that the budget was based on recovery of the pandemic. So we didn't think that we would be in the current state that we are today. However, um, you, know, you know, noteworthy here is the volumes drop below even where we were year to date with the pandemic continuing. We also saw a higher length of stay and a lower CMI, and that's being driven by more medical and COVID patients. You can see our ED visits dropped off. They're um, below our year to date average, our surgeries, uh, with more medical patients uh, dropped off. We were 8% off, now 12.2. You go down to skilled nursing, you can see our daily census was negative. Um, we do have a lot of things going on in, uh, in the skilled nursing realm. We've got the Park Bridge roof that is uh, being repaired. And we had South Shore leaks, which closed three beds. And we've had staff and uh, patient outbreaks. So the census is going to be lower through the end of January. That's our expectation for now. On the clinic visit side, we are 15.1% above. So that would indicate a very strong month. And most of that strength is coming from vaccine visits. We had 4,337 in the month of December. So overall, our adjusted discharges are off 2.8, days off 2.3. Um, the days are, are fewer, again, because of that uh, higher length of stay. 
So here are the financial statements. Um, our net income was 10.8, favorable to budget by 9.7 million. So very good month here. Year to date, we are also looking very good at 55.7, 42.3 better than budget. Our EBITDA, of course, is positive 9.6 and 41 uh, million for the year. Getting into the detail here, this is the revenue slide. We look at gross patient charges there. Um, because we had a lower volume month, we're actually below budget 7.2 or 2.3%. Year to date, we were actually quite close to budget, some of that having to do with improved capture of charges. However, um, in the month of December, because of those lower volumes, you can see the, deep, the bigger um, variance to budget. What's really driving things this month is the collection ratio. We're at 20.2. We were at 18.1, which was actually high last month and better than budget is 16.6. So what's driving that um, in the month of December is payments from the county for our behavioral health services. We received $5.8 million. And that is above what we had accrued in our you know, audited 21 financial statements. So when we're audited, we need to look at run rate, what our collections have been from the county, and that's why we had a lower accrual. But we are doing a much better job of getting the invoicing into the county and getting paid. And so we're seeing a nice pickup there in the month of December of 5.8 million. That is 3% of this variance. Um, and then in addition to that, we are just doing a better job collecting. It's the best effort. It's these, uh, the vendors that we've got in place. And of course, United Health was, a, was uh, they're still reprocessing trauma claims and paying us at the trauma rate, which is uh, very uh, favorable for the organization. Also worthy is you know, the other operating revenue there. You know, this month may not seem like that much at um, um, 0.3, but 2.4 year, year to date, that is all being driven off the retail pharmacy. They, ever since uh, the spring of last year, have really picked up on the high margin uh, drugs. So Question the about that, Kim. Mm -hmm. um, are, are our employees uh, picking up their volume of using the retail pharmacy? Well, we not a lot of our uh, employees are not using Alameda Health System as their provider. Um, I know we'd like to change that. Our, you know, we'd like to structure a benefit plan that would encourage our staff to use AHS facilities. Um, but at this point, there's very few employees that are coming to AHS for their medical services. So therefore, very few employees are actually using the pharmacy for their um, pharmaceuticals. Okay, thank you. So the, the other government programs is favorable 6 million, also very nice, not as much as the net patient service revenue, but still very positive and driving the, the great performance this month. So this next slide uh, gives us the detail of those other, other government programs. The Medi-Cal waiver, which is GPP, um, we received the ARPA, the um, American Rescue Plan Act 
funding um, as part of the waiver. So we're seeing a positive variance in the month of December for the accrual for December. So at this point, we have accrued a total of 17.1 million year to date in the 32.4. Uh, we've received almost all of it, 13.6, we'll receive the remainder of it in March. Um, supplemental programs, what's driving the supplemental programs are uh, the behavioral health money that we put here as a settlement. And you might ask me, well, why would you put 21 in as net patient revenue, and then now you're going to turn around and put 1.1 million of the funding in as a settlement. And there is a reason for that. The reason for that is that this 1.1 money goes back all the way to FY20. And we try to keep net patient service revenue consistent so that you guys, you all, everyone can measure our collection ratio and have it be valid. And since this is money really from 20, it has nothing to do with our current run rate. We put it in here as a settlement. And that is what I've been doing since I've been the CFO here. If it was from years back, I put it as a settlement in supplemental programs. COVID-19, uh, we received the phase four CARES distribution of 3.3 million. So that is the variance there uh, for the month. So uh, overall, Operating revenue, positive 16.4, and really um, uh, driving our performance this month. Kim, one, one question on that. Is the um, American Rescue Plan revenue, is that budgeted? It was not budgeted. We did not know we were going to receive funding. Um, Biden uh, signed the act back in March, and it was for government entities <clears throat> and um, infrastructure, uh, but we didn't know that public hospitals would get a piece of it. We knew the county would, the cities would, the states would, but uh, as it turns out, uh, a piece of this uh, went, a piece of this chunk of this funding went to DISH um, hospitals, and it got distributed through um, the waiver, the GDP. So that- we know how much more of this, money, of this revenue we have uh, that we'll be booking between now and the end of the fiscal year? I do not know. I don't know if we'll even get any more. So okay. it's very, it's unknown to me. We did not even know that we'd get the 17.1. So in theory, you know, if you, if you, if I was going to guess, I would think if they've increased the pool, they'd probably increase the pool for the period of time that the public emergency is in place. And if they did that, then we might get some more. I just don't know how much is left of this funding, how much they've distributed and how much is left. It's currently we're 42, our income is $42 million favorable to budget. And any more that we get of this kind of revenue will just hopefully push that north. Yeah. And remember too, Trustee Fox, that um, we have to settle up with the CARES funding and show that we needed these funds. And I'm still not sure whether I have to include or exclude these, these funds. Uh, so, so far we're doing just fine. We don't have to pay anything back. Uh, I guess I, I say fine. It means that we needed the money. We had expenses and lost revenue to support the funding that we've received. Um, but uh, this is one of those unknowns at this point, so. Okay. 
especially when you look at our bottom line like this. And it can also be offset by repayment of other supplemental things that come due later, right? Or is that not a carryover? That is not something that's part of the reconciliation, but you, you know, you're right. We would probably try to make that case in some way. Moving on to expenses here. Uh, there's just a couple to talk about really tonight. Um, obviously labor, which is the next slide. So we'll wait on that. Uh, there's really just two variances here that are pretty big, purchase services and materials and supplies. And then if you want to, they're exactly the same ones that are being driven year to date. So, we, you know, those two I'll talk about. And then the last one is G&A, mostly just year to date. So uh, purchase services, what's driving that is the contingent fees that we're booking for the, for Huron, for the best project. So far, we have 5 million, 3 million this month, and 2 million last month. These are still estimates because, you know, with these, this contingency fee, there's a long and, and very detailed process to make sure that AHS receives the benefit that we're entitled to before we make any payments. But I didn't want to be in a situation and have nothing booked be showing all this great performance and then turn around and have to take a big hit. So um, these are estimates and, um, you know, there's a lot of work going on right now to validate what is due to Huron. In addition to that, um, we've, we've been running unfavorable for clinical services. Our security services picked up uh, more recently. And we've been seeing positive variances for software and hosting fees and management consulting. So those are offsetting. In terms of materials and supplies, this is really all COVID related. When we did the budget, again, we knew there'd be some increased costs for cleaning, but when we thought that the pandemic would potentially be over, I mean, we were probably very optimistic. Um, we took down some of these expenses and I think probably we should have left them in there at a higher rate. As you can see, our PP&E up is over budget 1.9 million. And same with lab reagents, that's COVID related 1.5. The higher pharmaceuticals, again, we're getting the, the revenue for the retail pharmacies. So not really a, an issue for us there. And then on the general administrative year to date, we are high mostly because of this self-funded insurance claim activity. Um, this, uh, depending upon when these cases settle, we need to pay them. And in uh, this year in particular, we've had quite a few that have settled out. So it's uh, 0.8 more than we had in the budget. Moving on to labor. Labor is where we've had you know, significant variances. Um, if you uh, combine registry and, and salary and wages here, we're 1.3 million over in one month, December. And year to date, we are 9.8 million over budget. If you look at the FTEs, we're actually favorable. We're favorable 118 in December. Yes, a lot of that does relate to holidays because if people are taking PTO, they're paid off their balance sheet. They're not paid off the income statement. So we see the positive variance. But if you look year to date, you can see we are running below budget. And if you look at our productivity percentages, we are at, at 100%, which is how we measure our 
our, um, our productivity in all of our departments. So um, that's the story here. It is a rate variance. And uh, so I've got a slide to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, physician wages are unfavorable. They've been unfavorable. They're the same areas each month, nothing new there. And there is an offset to the registry cost in, the, in that we don't pay for benefits for these registry people. So we tend to see some favorable variances uh, in benefits. Um, and I always have to point out the retirement, meaning that we've got this credit that is reducing our expense. You know, so it's kind of masking some of this increase due to the fact that um, there were high investment returns and the actuarial report is allowing us to reduce our liability on the balance sheet because of that, of the, of the positive returns. So you know, as all of you know, depending upon what the markets do, that can kind of go up and down and be a roller coaster for Alameda Health System. So here's the slide I was referring to. You can see for nursing how high registry costs have come. So, but, you know, back in 2018, 19, even 20, registry nurses were cheaper than our own staff, okay? And then you can see all of that changed in 20 and see how bad it has gotten. And this is the national staffing shortage uh, driving this. And it is, you know, clearly causing the negative variance in our labor. Um, can I ask, how are we doing with the contract that we approved a few months ago, the $7.5 million registry contract? It looks like Lauren is getting ready to say something. I know we have been using that contract, but I can't tell you how much. So. Sure. As of two weeks ago, trustee esteem, we were at 546000 What does that represent? Like... FT equivalent, hours of staffing. Is there a breakdown that can help us understand what that means? No, I, I would be happy to get that for you. Um, I don't have that. I know that almost all of it comes in critical staffing rates for nursing. Lorna, are we getting all of the nurses that we need, that we request from this company? No, we have a huge shortage of the nurses that we're requesting and we're competing against, you know, national big competitors, both for-profit and nonprofit hospital systems. So I imagine we're going to hear something about this in the COO report on nursing. Big issue for the hospitals, I'm sure. Yes. Um, we'll talk more about it, Trustee Fox. And then... This other slide here is all total. I think maybe next time when we do this, we'll do everybody except nursing instead of total. But it, it still tells the same story that, that uh, the nursing registry is really driving this. Um, you can see um, registry was uh, actually lower um, than our employee costs, and that is also, that's flipped in total. Um, and there's a comment here that, you know, in FY21, we, we did have a huge registry uh, cost because of the strike. Uh, but next time I show it, I'll, we won't do total, we'll do everyone else. So I think it'll be easier to understand. So this is the FTE trend. And um, you can see this last, this budget year, we fixed a lot of this vacancy. The vacancy is represented between the space between the blue and red, meaning that we 
always put a whole lot more FTEs in our budget than we ever used. Then all of that changed when we gave the 12 week COVID leave and we had all of our employees on leave. We had to bring in all the registry and you can see we tipped up, 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 up. And then um, we were thinking that we would have recovered from the pandemic. So in our budget, we assumed we'd have our seasonality um, increase in volumes for the winter because normally that's what you see. You see that we need all of this extra uh, labor to take care of patients in the winter months. Of course, that did not happen with COVID. And then this year, we've just done a much better job budgeting. And so we've eliminated this vacancy and all you know the associated costs, which was uh, leading us to believe that we had a, a, a deficit that, that really wasn't accurate. So I'm very pleased that we were able to get this done. Uh, one concern I have as CFO here is if you look at the blue line, we usually run around a little over 4,300, 4,400, you know, here. And then now we have done a jump. And so our volumes are, are still down. They've recovered somewhat, but they're below where we were here, but we still have more FTE. So that's something we're working on. <coughs> so here's the balance sheet. Uh, just a couple things to point out here. Our days in AR came down, so that's the direction we would like. Um, so did our net days, although our net days came down a lot more than our gross days. So you might ask why. And this is a direct relationship of the formula. We go back 90 days and we have seen a big increase in our net revenue per day. So that's driving this decrease. Um, Trustee Lendorio, do you have a, a question? Yeah, thank you, Kim. And, and perhaps uh, wait till you get to the slide on expenses. But if you want to wait to answer, but my question is, um, how much of the positive, I guess, the, the savings and expenses as a result from us being unable to secure adequate um, employees, FTEs? So we can go back to this slide here. Um, I think if you just compare to budget and you just look at it from a year-to-date perspective, we were pretty close. We're within 30 for six months, okay? So at that point, we are 9.8 over budget. So I would say about 9.8 million is the extra cost associated with using all of this registry in our critical staffing situation. Right, so, so the answer, the answer to my question is, is our savings and expenses is not as a result of FTEs. It's somewhere else. Savings on expenses. So maybe I missed. Yeah, go back to your from the first thing you started talking about is that our revenue is positive and our negative, and also our expenses are better than budgeting. Okay, so here's our expenses. Um, I hope I didn't misspeak, but we are actually negative. We are um, over in our operating expenses, 6.9 million in the month of December and 22.1 million year to date. So our revenue- Sorry, our I stand corrected, I'm sorry. Does that answer your question? I think it I think it does, Tim. Okay, great. 
All right, so um, uh, also noteworthy here is uh, the net position. I always wanna talk about this because of the improved net revenue. We're actually improving our overall net position as an organization. We still have a loss situation, but improving. The, these are the uh, trending uh, since the end of October till January of our days in AR. Um, hospital billing was at 61 days and PV professional billing was at 30.8. Um, nothing really uh, stands out here other than the fact that, you know, we've, we, we, we're not getting worse. We're continuing to work this. PB is doing a good job and the collections are, are great. You can see their increased collections in both areas in the month of December. Having said that, here's the collection slide. And um, what I'd like to emphasize here is that we are running 11.2% better than last year. And, and folks say, well, gee, 11.2, what does that mean? Well, 11.2 is $35 million to this organization. So that's a, a nice pickup year over year. And, you know, recognizing, yes, we did have COVID, we still have COVID. Back in 19, we did not, and we're far sur surpassing that. So that's good news. Kim, I have a question on AR. Our, our days are down, but jumping ahead a little bit, the balance sheet shows that there's a large increase this year in reimbursement receivable since the end of the last fiscal year. And I'm wondering how that syncs with AR days being down. Yeah, so the, uh, the net receivable and, and payables, and it's in the letter, um, they don't, it doesn't have anything to do with net patient service revenue. It is literally um, all of our supplemental program okay. revenues. Got it, okay. Thanks. You're welcome. Kim, I have a question on that, back on that slide, to go back one. Is it, and this is a point of education for me on the, on, the, on the two graphs, HB and PB. Is it typical for there to be such a discrepancy between HB and PB collections? Because they've been roughly tracking hospital billings, roughly double that of professional billing time. Is that typical for an organization? be honest with you it's it i've never had an organization that actually broke them out separate and had you know installs that are completely separate for professional billing versus hospital billing i kind of like it because it gives you a, a better view into the world i like it too and it, it, it because it begs questions why is one double the other yeah so in the world of reimbursement if i was just going to give a give just a high level you know difference between reimbursement and H HB hospital billing and professional. Um, professional billing um, usually is about 70 to 80% of the total of a, of a service. And the physicians usually 20 to 30%. So this is kind of in line with what you would, you know, you would expect from just the you know, highest possible level. Um, because you know, obviously the, the physician component is the physician side of things. Uh, granted, in here, we've also got the FQs in the um, clinic settings. Uh, and the hospital only re uh, reflects the technical of the hospital, right? 
Um, question. I, I think Taft was pointing out that the AR days are double for hospital billing. And so um, what do you see as the reason for that, I think, is what you were getting at, Taft. Yes, sir. Agreed. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So um, for PB, we are actually uh, uh, doing really well. So when you compare us to the rest of the Epic um, customers, we're at the very you know, best end on the PB side. We still have some work to do on the hospital billing side. Uh, we have a performance improvement target that we wanted to hit by April, which was uh, 50 days. So we've got a ways to go here, but it typically does take a little longer to collect the hospital um, claims than the, than the professional claims. I think because they're bigger dollars, the plans maybe scrutinize more. Um, For, in terms of Epic providers, uh, where do we sit in? So you told us in professional billing, we're sort of best performance. Where are we on hospital billing? Probably just below the medium. Okay. I have it in front of me, but uh, we, so, we could take, bring that back to finance committee. If you all would like, we've got there, there's these beautiful dashboards that, that Epic uh, that shows where, where we stand to all their other customers and yeah. they're about, you know, maybe 30 metrics. I don't know if we have to go through all of them. And you can see where we are. And maybe we should be sharing that with this group. Yeah, I definitely don't want to go through all of them. I'm just, it just begs the question <laughs> is, where are our opportunities for improvement? And it says, like, you feel, it, what I hear is, we've treat, tweaked professional billing pretty darn good. And HB is sort of where there's kind of robust opportunity. Isn't it the same infrastructure which accounts for billing between HB and PB? Well, they're, they're in Epic, but there's a lot of, you know, complexities to all of this, uh, you know, medical necessity being one, right? But there's a, there's a lot to all of this. So they are, they are really, they're just fundamentally different, I think, in how you go about collecting, um, you know. And, uh, you know, if I could jump in, Taft, uh, Trustee Bouquet, you, you know, you're, I don't ever think I've seen a hospital at 30 days yeah, technical side AR it just doesn't happen, and and at sixty days we're we're doing pretty well, especially given where we were a couple of years ago, and if we could get it down into the fifties, which is our goal, I think you know we'll really be uh, getting up to the hundredth percentile. Sounds great. This was like I said, point of education. Uh, the data showed me a variance, and I was just trying to answer why. I think you guys are giving me some answers. Right, so then this is the um, forecast. Uh, we've extended it. So we used to, as of last month, we only had it through 6.30.22. And so uh, what I've been doing since I've been here is once we get to December, I go out another year. And I, instead of putting budget um, performance, I use the trend. And then for supplementals, I put the latest information available. One exception to that is we left the capital <coughs> at the 32.4, even though we've only spent 9.8. This really hasn't changed much from when you saw it last month, except for it's extended out. It shows that we expect that we aren't gonna have any issues with meeting our NNB. Um, if we have to pay back the recoupments, then that is a different story. These looming uh, recruitments are $120 million. 
And if we had to pay them, then that would put us way above the line. Again, this is not a new story. This is the same story that we've been talking about for, you know, ever since I started here, for, you know, several years and probably before that. So all good news here. And then this is basically the chart that gives you more detail on the big dollars that are uh, moving around. And up here are the, is the 120 I referred to. Uh, and I, uh, I want to uh, point out that we are making the FY12 payment, the 21.5 million. Uh, so we will close out FY12, it'll be done and it has reduced our overall liability for these recruitments. And we, um, and with the deal with the state is if we did get ARPA funds, which we did get, we would have the funding to pay the, close out the FY12, which is what we've done. That was our commitment to them that James and I made back in May. There were a few little things that moved around. I don't, nothing really all that significant. Um, you know, we had the rate range in February. It already came in, so we trued it up to what it actually is for January. Um, you know, we combined um, January and April here because we think we're going to get it all in April. And we moved uh, the QIP uh, from June. The only thing I need to point out is we got these backwards. The 32 belongs here and the 20.4 belongs here. So any, uh, any questions? That's my presentation for tonight. Kim, I have one question back on a prior slide uh, on when we're talking about labor. What do you think are the drivers on the negative variance for the MD portion of it, which I think was projected at like right around 3 million for the year, just over four services? Do you think it's the same drivers as for, as for our nurses? Were, were there were there docs who had to come out? And we had to bring in locums, or do we do we do we have that kind of detail? We we did increase some call pay. That is absolutely part of it. Um, and there are more locums, and I I'd have to dig down to see if they're exactly in these areas. But I know we increased call rates, so okay. um, that's a, a big driver of this. Got it. Because at three point three million we have a negative variance for labor costs of around 11. So the physician wages account for about 25% of our total negative variance. I was just trying to figure that out. Any further questions? Okay, we'll close out the CFO report. And uh, Mark, you're up on the Chief Operating Officer report. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Um, just a couple comments before I introduce Ro. Um, one, um, the report tonight is going to be on nursing, nursing specifically. Um, so it's great to have a CNAE here um, of, of um, Rose Caliber to present to you her initial two-month thoughts around nursing since she's only been here two months. But I'd also like um, to just have a shout out to our nursing um, staff across our system in general who, you know, we all know it's not an easy time right now. Staffing's difficult. Um, but I think, and Ro will talk more about this, but they unbelievably have stepped up. And not only our nursing staff, but all of our staff, frankly. Um, but tonight we'll hear specifically about the nursing staff. So I'd like to introduce Ro, who is going to give you her first two-month impressions 
if you will, um, about nursing, what she's seeing, and kind of her vision on where she sees nursing going. So, Ro, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark, and good evening, everyone. I think I'm going to go ahead and take control of the screen here and um, be able to share a brief PowerPoint. Are you all able to see the screen? Yes. All right. Okay. All right. So um, as Mark mentioned, I've been here for just about two months and um, really the people of AHS have been so, have been so welcoming. I mean, I, I have never come across such a um, nicer group of individuals, very helpful with helping me get acclimated to the new environment. Um, I've been spending a lot of my time uh, doing an assessment and trying to round and get to know the staff, um, understand the organization and um, some of the workflows and um, the opportunities. And starting with the people, um, some of the things that I've seen is that they're very excited with the new leadership. Um, they have a have some positive hope for the future, um, really appreciating that um, leaders are out rounding and talking to them, spending time on their unit, asking them questions about um, their, their job, um, things that they need, things that can be done better. Um, but there's also a lot of frustration, fear, and anxiety, um, and signs of burnout. So we have staff that um, have been working lots of hours, obviously, because of what we're going through with the pandemic. Um, we have a high vacancy rate. Um, they've seen a lot of turnover, not just with staff, but they've seen it with leadership. And um, that has given them a lot of fear, um, a lot of anxiety. Um, and they're guarded, which is where the frustration comes from. They're, they're really just trying to hold on to um, the history as they know it. Um, with COVID, um, our, of course, our staffing has been severely impacted. Uh, we've had a lot of registry use, a lot of sick time and overtime, as, um, as you've seen in the report that Kim um, has shared with you. And um, that's been a big challenge, um, have to admit. And then there's the culture um, and, and the mindset. And with the leadership turnover and not really... Um, having trust in the previous leadership. Um, it's just been a lot of, um, a, a lot of, I would say, internal barriers for them to get over. Um, sorry, I have a five-year-old. <laughs> um, however, I've also seen some very, very highly skilled clinicians, um, some very smart nurses, some very committed nurses and physicians, um, our ancillary staff as well, very proud of the work that they've been doing um, and uh, the patient outcomes that they've seen. Um, but I've also seen a, lot, uh, a lack of employee engagement uh, with, with performance improvement, um, really being able to have a voice and to um, speak and contribute on the work that they're actually doing. Looking at things from a systems um, perspective with nursing, um, we, need to, we need to define an identity. We need to really know who we are. Where are we, where are we trying to go as nursing? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, what do we want to be known as? Um, those are some of the things that I would like to see with the team um, as, we're, as we're working together, uh, really to develop a sense of identity and um, a sense of pride and empowerment. 
Um, again, the, the vacancies and the turnover um, and also the lacking of systemness. So you can go to Highland and you'll see something, um, a process one particular way in a department. You go over to Alameda and to San Leandro and it's completely different. Um, and that, that, that's a, that's something that we're really working on um, now with the VPs of really getting together, um, learning from one another, uh, where one area may have a really good process, we should be spreading that information throughout the system. Um, so that's something that we'll be looking forward to um, standardizing in the future. But there's also within each facility our departmental silos. So you got the site doing things different. And then within the department, there's little groups and silos. Um, I'm very happy to say that I think we have a thriving post-acute um, units. Our, our post-acute areas um, are, um, the, the staff are happy, the, the leadership is um, really thriving, and they, they have a sense of purpose. And that was very refreshing to see. Um, as far as the nursing leadership um, that directly report up through me, that infrastructure is something that we're working on as well. Um, right now, the way that the infrastructure is set up, I feel that it's broken, um, that we do have some opportunities to have better alignment, um, better attention to detail when it comes to quality and our patient experience, to really move from the firefighting um, to really getting into developing standard work and workflows and um, resolving process issues. Um, we're also um, in, the, in the middle of rebuilding our clinical nursing education department. Happy to say that we do have a director of um, education and we filled um, two out of the five positions that we have open for our nurse educators, so that's great. Um, also, there's an um, increase in workplace violence in our emergency departments. Um, I'll touch on that a little bit more as well, but that's, that's an issue that, we, that we've identified um, and that we're working uh, to uh, mitigate. The, um, we're also working with HR to increase accountability um, and performance to deal with um, some staff behavioral issues that have been ongoing um, and investigations that had not been closed out. And HR has been instrumental with um, helping us get those items dealt with and closing out some of those cases. Um, we also have a sitter management issues and um, overall throughput. Um, just a slide to show the, um, the sit call utilization. Um, as you see for John George and Highland, um, just in the month of December, there was a tremendous amount of sit call usage um, in the hospitals, a lot less. Obviously, there's a lot less staff, but um, there's a lot of impact as a result of this sit call usage. Um, and that contributes to our use of registry, um, contributes to our quality of care, uh, safety, et cetera. Um, this is just an overview of the leadership vacancy. So we um, definitely have out of this way, um, an opportunity to fill our leadership positions. Um, Highland has uh, quite a few, um, John George and San Leandro. Alameda has all of their positions filled. I think we're posting one. Uh, 
that's upcoming. Um, but for the most part, the bulk of the opportunities are um, in Highland. So what's next? So, and this would actually be a nursing vision. Um, working with the team, this is just a draft, but we're looking to provide high quality healthcare to everyone with every encounter while serving with compassion, respect, and excellence that creates an environment that's collaborative and healing while supporting the individual patient and family values. And we'll be working towards this vision. Um, it'll definitely have some refinement because it needs to make it down through, um, through to include our frontline staff. But we're starting from some, we have to start with the vision. Um, some immediate actions that uh, we've done this past two months is that uh, we've already started uh, in regards to workplace violence, a re-education of our teams. Um, our director of education uh, has collaborated with uh, the educator from John George to really look at our education that we're providing to our emergency departments and other high-risk areas, um, and really having a more system-wide focus um, how we um, how we deal with these situations, as well as looking at our emergency departments and conducting an assessment for safety um, to address some of the um, the the staffing shortages, uh, we've instituted um, uh, incentive pay program, which has helped. Um, it's definitely helped uh, keep our units from being capped. Uh, some days we've had to have our units less than full capacity uh, from not having enough staff. And uh, the incentive pay has, has helped with that, which improves uh, the throughput from the ED. We've also adopted a more system-wide approach for our policy review. Can I ask a quick question about yeah. the incentive pay? Yes. This is for current staff. This isn't like a recruitment operation. This is for our current staff. How does this work? Is this like stay over a shift and we'll give you extra? Does this come in for a shift? Is it, how does that work? It, it's it's all of the uh, all of the above. So what the nursing managers are doing is they're proactively looking at their gaps and holes in the schedule. Of course, we're trying to fill them with straight time first with our um, our per diem staff or part time staff. In the event we can't fill them at straight time, you look for overtime. If you can't do overtime, then you look for incentive um, pay shifts, and they're identifying those shifts communicating it with the staffing office and with the teams and people are picking up. Um, or as you mentioned, if they are staying over as long as um, they have at least completed their eight hour shifts, because we don't want people to give up their regular shifts and then try and pick up an incentive pay shift, right? We want them to work their full FTE. Um, and this is just an incentive uh, for them to work a little more. Um, and how does it compare to like an overtime rate or a per diem rate? Yeah, great, great question. So they are still eligible for um, whichever overtime that they're entitled to. So if it's over their 40 hour in a work week, if it's over their eight hours in a day, and then it's a, it's a small stipend on top of that um, that they are able to receive. And this is at all of our hospitals. So it's in the post-acute areas, um, as well as the um, two community hospitals in Highland. So it's like you can pre-schedule overtime. You can pre, and pre-scheduling overtime was another one of our approaches before we got the incentive pay, um, just trying to fill those holes. Um, and really when we were pre-scheduling overtime, um, that was just to catch up from the sick calls that were coming in because 
you can pretty much guess the number of calls you're going to have um, based on, you know, the historical data. And so we were trying to pre-schedule to at least fill those. Um, so it's kind of like a game of catch-up um, daily. Um, but our staffing office um, has been great with helping the managers with this, and the managers have been great, and the staff have been great. Um, we know that it's not as much as they would get at other hospitals because we've heard that feedback, but um, it's what we can do right now, um, and our teams have been stepping up and, and picking up some of the shifts. Um, Question? Yes. Um, do we have... Uh, eight hour or 12 hour shifts in our hospitals or combination of both? We have a combination of both. Do we know if uh, the people that work 12 hour shifts, are they working three twelves basically? Generally, yes. And, and are they then on their off days working registry at other hospitals? Um, I can guess that probably not registry, but generally people that have the three 12-hour shifts have the ability to pick up another um, on-call or even um, part-time job at another hospital. We have a lot of our staff that work um, just over at Kaiser as well as Highland. So is that a, a, could that be a, a, a number one source for us of, of increasing our employed staff time? by trying to get some of those folks back working for us uh, an extra shift and, and away from Kaiser, or we're, we're doing that already, I imagine. Well, that's where, where the incentive pay would come in. We would prefer for them to pick up an additional shift with us um, with a little bit more than what they would be getting with their per diem rate at another hospital. Mm -hmm. um, great questions. So um, also we are, um, we started working on a system-wide approach for policy review. Um, one of the things that I noticed is that there were multiple policies, some um, with different languages, some different um, verbiage in the policy, meaning um, some were outdated, some were updated. And so together now with um, the VPs from each of the sites, we're reviewing those policies, trying to archive some policies and get on one accord so that we're doing the same thing um, at each hospital. We call them policy review parties. They've actually been quite nice. Um, and we've actually had some of our physician partners um, collaborate with us on those. Um, I spoke about HR. Um, you know, they've been real partners with us to help with um, filling vacancies as far as getting us candidates and um, working with the managers to um, quickly review those candidates and either move to hire or to disposition them. Um, I spoke about the clinical education department. Um, we've also had town halls. We've been having town halls now at John George um, for the last couple of weeks, and we have a weekly on desktop chat that um, Mr. Jackson facilitates, where we're really keeping that flow of communication open. We're hearing the feedback from the staff and really trying to be transparent uh, with any new changes that are coming out. Um, I've spoke about HR and closing out longstanding staff investigations. Um, and we're really uh, focusing on quality and safety and with the use of scorecards um, and reinstituting the unit-based councils in our patient care areas. Um, and very exciting to say that we are um, in the process of implementing the use of our telesitters. So that way we'll 
um, once telesitters are implemented, we can use our uh, CNA staff to actually help on the units um, instead of sitting with the patient. Um, so some of the future state, uh, we'll be looking to um, restructure the nursing leadership to really have a focus on um, service lines and um, uh, having leadership that's um, able to really unpack and dig deep into the issues of um, with our with our staffing or our quality or um, uh, management management of finances. Um, we're looking to adopt magnet principles to in increase employee engagement. So really having those unit-based teams, having um, some employee-led um, initiatives, really giving them a forum to discuss their practice um, and having that communication bi-directional uh, where it will be reported out, the work will be reported out all the way up to MEC. Um, really having that shared governance concept for nurse empowerment. Um, and then, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, the joint creation of our nursing identity and our purpose. Um, also focusing on recognition, we will uh, be bringing back the DAISY Award. Um, and the next one is the uh, Nurse Quality Review Committee. That can actually be on the other slide because we're doing that now. Um, and that's where we would have almost a peer review uh, committee for our nursing quality issues. Um, so if there is a um, issue identified, either the physicians or our unit-based teams will have a, um, a committee to take these things to, to actually review them and we can um, report out as to what our actions are. Um, we're in the process of creating a robust patient experience strategy. We're actually meeting tomorrow, um, looking at our patient experience, looking at the drivers, uh, what can we do to improve, what things do we have in place that's working already that can be shared. Um, so we'll be coming together for that. Um, also very excited to know that we'll be fully optimizing our staffing department and transfer center. You guys have all heard a lot of um, um, information about that, um, but we're starting that now actually where the staffing office will be um, staffing the units and doing the day-to-day -day staffing. So that takes something off of the nurse manager's plate because right now they're spending a lot of time with just trying to staff the next shift. Um, and then creation of department level standard work. This is very important. Um, so that we can get some standardization and really focus on um, those uh, high quality areas, those areas that really need um, a lot of focus and making sure that we're doing that every day, every shift. And that is it. I will take any questions that you may have. How many nurses do we have, nurse FTEs? Oof. I don't have that number right off, but it is probably around 11 or 1200, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Kim may know better. It's a significant percentage of our total FTEs. Yeah, I would guess we're approaching two to 2500, possibly. Yes, if we include those post-acute areas, mm -hmm. too, definitely, yes. Mm -hmm. Splen, do you have your hand up or is it up from before? Hello, Alan. It's up for this one. And I think, thank you for a wonderful, um, really uh, clear, concise presentation. But I have a question on your last slide. Yes. What is the process and timing for creating the robust 
I'll just say for the patient's experience strategy. So our, we're starting tomorrow, um, 7.30 in the morning. We had a four-hour meeting, and a bulk of that meeting is all about patient experience and us looking at the drivers and developing a strategy. That, I, I didn't anticipate, say, tomorrow morning at 7.30, but that's <laughs> great. Yes. Any other questions? Well, as you can see with the number of FTEs, anywhere from 1 to 2,000, 1,000 to 2,000 FTEs, um, the level of importance and significance nursing is in our organization. Yes. And, and we probably have five or six times as many RNs as we have MDs. Um, and so we'll hope to hear more from you in the future and, and track your progress, Ro. Absolutely. Thanks. Yes, I'd love to come back and give an update. <clears throat> yeah, thank you so much for this. I have a question about the uh, the e-sitters, the telesitters. Telesitters, yes. How many staff do you think that, like, how many patients can a telesitter manage at a time? I'm I'm trying to imagine the scope of this new. Let me give you a visual. Let me give you a little visual. Yeah. So um, it's one to sixteen, and so it's. You know, each of the rooms, as you imagine, would have a device to be able to record the movement and actions of the of the patient, and um, it would be in a designated area. And right now, we can use sometimes twelve sitters um, in a in a day, um, or even in a shift on some on some occasions, which I hate to admit. Um, so you can imagine the number of um, CNAs. We try to combine them, um, but that's not always possible. So those that aren't on um, a hold will have this telesitter capability. Um, and so we'll be able to use the staff out on the units. But it's really cool if you can imagine um, like a monitor tech, uh, EKG monitor tech, similar in fashion to where you'll be in front of a computer screen and there's little boxes all around with the patients and you can zoom in and actually see what they're doing or um, um, speak into the room uh, to redirect. And most importantly, to notify the nurse that there's something going on in there to go and to give some attention to the patient. Where are the, the techs living or the, the, is it monitored by a CNA rem remotely? Is it somewhere in another physical building, in another state, in another country? No, they will be at, um, right now we're planning for them to be in the Highland Hospital. Um, so we are just embarking on this. We had our kickoff maybe three weeks ago or so. Um, so the thought is that, that they, they would be housed at the Highland facility. Is the CNA still the, the main staff that's monitoring? Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow. Yep. Other questions, comments? All right. Well, thank you very much again, Ro, and we'll look forward to hearing your reports in the future. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Mark, anything else for your COO report? No, Trustee Fox. Okay, so we'll close out the uh, operating report, Section B, and go to uh, Section C. Um, 
And uh, since we're at the beginning of a new calendar year, um, I thought it would be uh, an appropriate time to poll the committee and see if there are any uh, educational topics that you'd like to have discussed at a future meeting this year. Uh, also, uh, because many of us that were new on the board a year ago now have a year under our belt and we know the organization uh, somewhat better than we did when we originally turned on our Zooms a year ago. So we may have some requests that maybe we wouldn't have made a year uh, last year for discussion items that we would like to see come up. Uh, let me give you a couple of, couple of them that I have uh, thought about. And one of them is actually on the agenda for our March 2nd meeting, and that is uh, supply chain in AHS. Uh, and I think that's topical because it seems like every organization is concerned about supply chain. Uh, and we heard a lot about it at the beginning of the pandemic relating to protective uh, material, uh, equipment and materials. Uh, but the thing that I've been thinking about is, you know, how do we source our supplies here at AHS? It's, I know it's complex. We have I know we're, we're probably in one and maybe more than one purchasing, a group purchasing organization. And we have a, a lot of different uh, categories of supplies. So uh, I've already talked to Mark and Kim about that and that's gonna be on the agenda for March. Um, another thing that we're gonna look at uh, somewhere down the road is uh, report, profitability reporting by entity. And I think that uh, the finance department is working on bringing that up now. The status quo has been that we, uh, all our reporting is done uh, as, a, as one entity as a whole, but that doesn't give us the opportunity to really see uh, where we have opportunity to improve and, and where we're, we're doing well and where we should be investing. Um, another topic I wanted to talk about was going to some depth about what's on the balance sheet. And I think that is, coming up uh, one of these months. Um, and something I know that Kim is interested in is a comparison of, of, of our metrics with other comparable hospitals, uh, how, how we're doing in, in different areas. We see a lot of stats on AHS, but we don't really know how we compare with uh, similar organizations throughout the state. And that's something we're gonna be putting on the agenda. Um, any thoughts, uh, Splen? Yeah, thank you, Alan. Um, my, what I'd like to see, I think I've raised before and wasn't really interpreted the way I meant it to be was at some point, in fact, I should have asked, does the finance department actually have a strategic plan? And, and if it doesn't, you know, we're, we're working on one for the entire system. And I imagine that some, that some part of that strategic plan will be focused on finance I would like this to, to have a part of every meeting to discuss, you know, what is happening with the strategic plan? How's it being uh, implemented? Are there any issues? Are they success, et cetera? I, that's what I'd like to see at some point. At every meeting. Correct. And where you're talking about a finance department strategic plan, are you talking about taking the overall organization strategic <laughs> plan and and turning it into a financial forecast? Or are you talking about 
what the strategic plan is for Kim's department, how to how to do their work more efficiently and and maybe more thoroughly, you know, within the department. Yeah, I, I'm not imagining either one of the or both for, for really, Alan. I just figure that some, if if there isn't one specific for the for the finance department or area, that maybe some part of the overall strategic plan for the system must be delegated, and we should be spending some time with it. Okay. Any other, any other requests? Uh, Trustee Bouquet. Uh, Mr. Chair, thanks for opening up the subject. Um, uh, as you know, I, I, I think it's great when the board serves to educate ourselves. So thank you for that. If I could have my ideal, every committee would have some type of article on which we could uh, share our knowledge. Every single committee, audit compliance, HR, quality, full board, and of course finance. And I, I think that that gives you some discretion in talking with our uh, these committee members about what to learn about. I'm a big fan personally of, fa uh, of fundamentals. And I, I think we have an opportunity, even though we sit here and talk about all these things all the time, to hit the fundamentals, you know, the three key financial statements, how to read them, you know, balance sheet, income statement, cash flow statements, and uh, kind of building that into our, uh, making that something that we all know really well. And- uh, yeah. I would love if, if, if just uh, even simple little articles and, uh, and you and I could powwow on that uh, if you ever wanted to, uh, through which we can have some shared learning and understanding. Sure, okay. Uh, I think that's a good idea. And you know, the articles don't have to originate with myself or, or with Kim, but if any of you folks have come across an article you think you'd like to share with the committee, let us know and we'll, we'll get it into the packet. Anything else? All right, well, uh, uh, we're open on this throughout the year, so it, it doesn't have to be tonight. As you, as you think about uh, what, we, what you'd like to hear more about, um, if there's an issue that we haven't brought up, you're probably not the only person that, that is, is thinking about that issue. And, and Taft, I appreciate your uh, bringing up uh, finance fundamentals because I know we have uh, several members who are of the committee and people who attend the meeting that aren't uh, don't particularly have a deep financial background and there's no reason why we would expect they would, but we could try to make it uh, a little bit easier for them to understand the reports and what we're talking about. Okay, I'm gonna close out that item, uh, C1, and move on to uh, item D, action item on contracts. And uh, I think, uh, is Felicia uh, here to talk about the uh, Alameda Inpatient Medical Group? Yes, hi, good evening. Um, I will be presenting the contract on Alameda Inpatient Medical. So for this agreement, um, we have had a, a long-term relationship with Alameda Inpatient Medical. We have two separate agreements with them. This agreement is specific to the care that they provide hospitalist services at Alameda Hospital. So what we're looking at is a two-year renewal one of the most exciting parts of this renewal is that we are finally 
um, providing some hours for medical direction. We've never had a medical director of hospitalist services for Alameda Hospital. And I, I'm excited that we're building that in to this agreement. In addition, uh, we are adjusting uh, some minor um, details around their day and night shift schedule, but we are introducing a, um, we're introducing essentially the ability for them to add in another shift once we get to a census of 45 at the hospital. In addition, there are some uh, quality metrics that are part of that, that contract, and then there is a 3% cost of living increase for year two. In terms of what the adjustments to the cost of the contract, I think one of the important things we did with this is that we hadn't given them a significant rate increase, an adjustment in about four years. So this actually represents a rate adjustment that is in line with uh, our hospitalists um, at other hospitals in Alameda Health System. In addition, there's a differential related to evening and night work. So the total amount of this contract is the not to exceed amount. That is assuming that we would have uh, activated that Jeopardy shift 365 days a year. So we will not be over a census of 45 365 days for the, uh, for the coming two years. And so our annual spend will likely be significantly less than that. Um, but that is uh, what we're requesting approval for. So we have that covered in case we are in the uh, great situation of filling all of our beds um, at that hospital. Okay, thank you. Any, any uh, questions or comments about the AIM presentation? I have a question. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks, Dr. Tornabeni, and this might be for you and Ira at the same time. Actually, probably you first, and then Ira on some data. Um, can you tell me how this reconciles with our development of East Bay Medical Group as, as the primary contracting entity, or is that actually our strategy? Uh, and then my question to Ira would be, Ira, where does this rank in terms of our physician contracts in terms of size outside of EBMG. I'm presuming it's probably UCSF traditions and then this one. So I guess I have two questions floating out uh, both ways. So I, I would say at least uh, at this point right now, uh, we do not have EBMG managing all of the non-EBMG contracts. I think that that you know progressing into that type of strategy is something we can absolutely consider moving forward. I defer to Ira on the other questions. Um, yes, um, I don't have my dashboard right in front of me at this moment, but I would say, um, Dr. Taft, you are right. Um, this would definitely fall below the EBMG UCSF TBH contracts. Um, there may be one or other two that are somewhat larger than this one, but yes, it's in that rough area, yes. Got it, thank you. And then I guess my question, uh, Dr. Tony, this goes to what is our strategy with regard to these contracts? And is, is yeah, I'm not going to oppose it. And actually, I'm not a voting member here, but is two year, how, how can we select it a two year term? Are we giving EBMG a two year window to develop? Or I know these are big questions. I think that's something that we should be discussing in the context of our entire strategic plan as we look forward. Thank you. 
Other comments, questions? Would anybody care to make a motion on this contract? I move, Alan. Okay. Splend has put a motion on the table. Do I have a second? Second, and then I have a question. Okay, seconded by Trustee Esteen. And your question, please. Yeah, the question is about the census and the swing shift. How does that work? Where's this magical new doctor come from? Uh, sure, so we have the, we have three day shifts. We have a swing shift, a night shift, and then the ability to add another rounding team should we have the, the, um, the census increase. And so um, uh, presumably Alameda inpatient medical would have the ability, should we see the census trending up, to have a physician that they could call in and add that, that additional rounding team. Does that give you what you need, Trustee Esteem? Okay, any more discussion before we take a vote on this motion? Going once, going twice. Okay, Rana, may we have a roll call, please? Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. I, I think that was an aye. And uh, Trustee Splendorio. I'm an aye, but Trustee Freeman said he was leaving at 630. what? Trustee Freeman said he was leaving at 630. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm getting a lot of interference. I'm having a hard time hearing. Oh, Mark Trustee Friedman is out then. Thank you. The motion does pass. Okay. Thank you. Uh, on D2, uh, the next agenda item, which is an amended agreement for East Bay Medical Group, uh, professional services agreement. Uh, Kim Miranda and Dr. Akil Swarin will discuss that one. All right, uh, Dr. Akil Swarin, are you gonna kick us off? Sorry, yes I am, I'm just getting my video to load. Um, good evening, trustees. Thank you so much for um, allowing us to present to you today. Um, this is an update from a presentation that we did back in the fall about the um, professional services agreement up, uh, changes and revisions that um, we were making with respect to East Bay Medical Group, which is the first set of changes that would have been made since the initial professional services agreement went into effect in July of 2020. Um, and so we wanted to just kind of start by um, kind of high level, what are we trying to achieve here? Um, and one of the main things in sort of digging in since I took over the role of president of the medical group um, to some of the challenges that this group is facing um, really have to do with just baseboard setting around compensation. 
Um, and one of the driving factors for addressing this immediately and urgently in the last year, we've been kind of at this since last May or so in this process, was really the high turnover rates that we were seeing amongst physicians and how that was impacting our ability to staff basic services across our system. And I'm happy to give examples of that. We saw about 11% turnover in our physicians last year at EBMG. And just as a reminder, we have about 185 FTEs um, and a total of about 300 physicians on payroll, um, including our, our uh, services as needed physicians. So um, 10 to 11% is, is high. There were obviously a lot of factors related to why physicians were leaving. Um, but uh, one of the main factors was really around this lack of trust and um, lack of transparency around um, compensation that we were just not able to meet the needs around, um, given the, the previous compensation structure, which really was quite haphazard. Um, and so our vision was really to try to correct this. So I consider this to be a set of corrective actions to get us to a place where we can stabilize the group um, and then you know, moving forward can really focus on issues around performance, which is what we wanna be able to do. So our vision is to provide transparent, competitive and fair compensation that attracts and retains talented providers. Our goals are really to address this issue of physician turnover and in, as far as sort of the urgent issue at hand. Um, but also to kind of promote a different sort of culture that would build trust with the physicians and really want enable them to want to stay, which includes just providing a pathway for them to not worry about basic issues around um, their contract, their employment, their compensation, and move on to being able to grow and, and develop as, as um, physicians and physician leaders in our system. And so the values that we use to kind of um, um, define the work that we did over the last I would say eight months or so included really just deep collaboration. There were a number of physicians that um, were involved with this work. We had a committee set up. We had tons of input from physician leaders and departments um, to actually inform um, the, the changes that are being proposed. Um, and uh, our intention is to use this as a uh, platform to continue to optimize what we're getting from physicians in terms of their time, their input, their efforts, um, and standardize the work that they're, work that they're doing so that we actually can start to set real work expectations that drive performance for the system. Go to the next slide. <coughs> Excuse me. And so the professional services agreement that exists between East Bay Medical Group and um, AHS, some of those goals include um, the changes, rather, um, that we are proposing really are to kind of um, recognize um, the, the, the true nature of the relationship between the two entities. So empowering East Bay Medical Group to really partner with AHS, um, uh, simplifying the administrative burden associated with um, East Bay Medical Group on AHS, um, driving, obviously, physician performance around quality and patient care, um, and then reducing um, duplicative overhead. All right, so this next slide is the actual financial uh, uh, framework of the contract. So uh, we're looking at FY21 here, and we were you know, just under the $75 million. Uh, And then in, if we were to annualize our last six months, we'd be about 75.5. We did go from 154.8 to 156.8. And then... Looking forward, next 12 months is uh, this new um, PSA. So there would, if I do the full, of, in full effect of all of the staff, we're gonna be at 164.4. Those are the folks that are here today. 
We definitely do have a recruitment plan that we're working on, but these are the folks that are here today. So if we are successful in our recruiting, I do expect that this number would go up um, and that may cause us to have to come back because this is also a not to exceed contract. However, I did not want to guess about numbers of FTEs that might join AHS. We do have a recruiter, but I know it's gonna take time. So um, I wanted to make sure everybody was clear on that. The increase is uh, a 12.3% or 9.3 million. Again, a big portion of this is just FTE is not increases to position salaries. And just to remind everybody, the way the PSA works today is their fixed expenses, which are the actual East Bay Medical Group base salaries, all of their benefits, overhead, which really is payroll taxes. The benefits include the retirement plan, and there are some um, legal fees in there. So that is what, what is the fixed portion. The variable portion, which is represented by the green, the smaller portion, that is the SAN, which are services as needed providers. So there's a lot of physicians that come in and, and take call for us. Um, so that includes those funds. We don't have to pay benefits for them. But it also includes when our East Bay Medical Group doctors take additional call and are paid in the variable. So that's the structure of this agreement. Um, this next slide is to give you an example of the actual work that has been done that uh, Dr. Achilles Warren was talking about. So we picked three specialties here. The first one is cardiology. So for FY21, their compensation was just over the 30th percentile, and that's of the ECG surveys. It's a market survey. It's a blend of many surveys, actually. And this is what is in the proposed contract. We want to get them up to almost 50%, yes. But look at how the, the blue and green has changed. So the base comp was very low before, and now the base comp is up much more reasonable, about 45th percentile. And we've embedded um, call in this so that the source of their income is not taking all of this extra call. And ENT is another example. So they were originally at about the 25th um, in a, a base comp represented the blue, the green is the total comp. Now here, we've increased the base, but we're also thinking they're gonna have to do more call until we can right size the specialty. Um, Hemon, the overall hasn't changed very much. But you can certainly see how base comp has uh, increased significantly. And the idea behind this is if we're going to recruit, recruiting people at the 20th percentile and telling them they have to do all of this extra call is not a strategy that, that we feel is going to be very successful. So what we tried to do is make the base salaries more um, competitive. We did want to leave some room because this is a journey, right? We, this isn't fixing everything today. Um, we did a deep dive on a, a certain set of specialties. There's more to go. 
we want to add an incentive plan at some point as well. So we need to have room to be able to build the incentive plan in from the base so people can make, you know, maybe median or more than median, depending upon, you know, what their, what their um, individual production might be. Um, and we do realize that, you know, some of our doctors are doing this um, huge amount of call, which is really hard to have a, a, a balance in your life if you're always on call. So once we do recruit, we know that we're going to have to do some reevaluation. We should be able to drop our call rates a bit. We should be able to ensure that the folks that are, have embedded call are doing embedded call, which is consistent with market, right? So that uh, we're not having to have to pay for every time they come in. We're looking at, you know, okay, for this specialty across the United States, you know, most of them might do, you know, for a specialty, it might be one in four or one in five days of call. And if that's the norm, that's built in their salary. Granted, if they're going to do more, we need to pay them more. But they may not want to do more. They want to have balance in their life. So these are um, some examples um, that we just picked to share tonight. Great. So to conclude, um, just uh, in terms of the, the prepared presentation and looking forward to questions, um, we, I am so proud of the work that we've done together um, with AHS, with our executive leadership team, amongst the physician at ECB Medical Group to really move this leaps and years forward. I mean, the types of things that we're talking about right now are really about ch fundamentally changing our operations and fundamentally setting new expectations for how physicians do their work with us, more, much more in line with the values that they came in with, um, to our system with. And I do feel like that's going to build trust and enable retention long-term. So um, we really you know, operated according to a set of guiding principles around physician recruitment, retention, and morale. We are we've decided not to reduce anyone's base salary, not that it was really an issue, but anyone that was kind of um, even a bit deviated from the, the structure of the schedule that we're proposing, we're just going to keep them and maintain them. Um, and uh, we did do a deep dive on seven very critical specialties, three of which were depicted in the slide that Kim showed um, around um, the and those specialties being the ones that we have the most difficulty around recruiting and retention, where we really need to make sure that we're stabilizing. Um, we looked at work expectations, we looked at ideal team size, we looked at the, their base salary, their call burdens and have successfully restructured the compensation for the specialties in a way that I think will hold us for uh, quite a while. Um, all of the other specialties, so again, about 25 specialties total, so seven of which we did a very deep, deep restructuring on the other um, fifth, uh, uh, so, so 18 or so, we made sure that there is some minimum level of market competitiveness with room to grow, so really just, again, corrective adjustment. Um, and our main issue was to correct any inequities. So where we saw variances that didn't make any sense, where we didn't know if that was due to bias or due to somebody's individual negotiation or a deal made, being made on the side, we corrected all of that and made sure that there's, um, there's, there are actually salary schedules um, that we can use to guide um, salaries, uh, base salaries moving forward. Um, and then in, in general, kind of looking at compensation more holistically, we also adjusted um, our benefits plan to really um, attract and recruit um, talent um, in the way that we uh, want to by, for example, enhancing um, some of our benefits, including our family benefits, which we know a lot of our physicians care deeply about. Um, so I'll, I will stop there. Um, and Kim, if you have anything else to add, otherwise we can um, open it up for questions.
objection to everything we're hearing tonight because the doctors made it clear that they want to talk about these specifics these this is huge you're right this is transformational change they voted to have a union and this feels like superseding their desire uh, there's there's only one doctor in the room tonight there's, there's two doctors in the room tonight dr Tony Bene and dr Bouquet. i'm really concerned that the other doctors that voted to have a union representation are having their desires completely upended um, by bringing this to the Board of Trustees tonight. This does not feel right at all. Could I add on to that question? And that is just have, have the various specialties um, signed off on, this, on these agreements? Yes, this is fully in collaboration with all the specialty leaders and their departments. Um, I, I just want to address the union um, issue. I've been in very close communication with our physician organizers, as well as many of the physicians who are pro um, unionization. Um, and we've been we've been very transparent about what the changes are that we're proposing, making sure that this is in line with what um, folks that are um, moving towards unionization, which is our entire group, wants. That there would be no barriers to moving forward with this proposal. Um, we even uh, spoke with um, the attorneys um, at SEIU um, in, back in December to ensure that this did not constitute any unfair labor practice, that this felt comfortable um, making this very critical adjustment given the turnover, given the needs that were being seen by the physician group, and knowing that it may take some time to actually get to a first contract with the union. And so I, I feel very confident that this is completely supported. Um, and if there's any way to prove that, happy to do so. I mean, I hear all of that, and I disagree. If we're talking about wages, that's one thing. You're talking about a complete change, base compensation, productivity standards. We're talking about a work experience, call being included. Did they know all these details in December? Yes. We've been very transparent about the whole proposal. Every board meeting wow. have been very clear about every single change. All the physicians have been involved. All the physicians who will be impacted have been involved with these changes, collaborating with our consultants. We've been engaging outside consultants to help um, benchmark to market. I'm, I, I, I would be remiss to say that there's been anyone that has not been aware of the deep level of detail we've been going into around these changes. I think I would feel better if they were in the room. Uh, James, do you have any thoughts on, on the question that Trustee Esteen is, is raising? I, I think I understand her concern. Um, I, I think Dr. Achilles Swarn has articulated pretty clearly how actively she has been speaking with the physicians themselves as well as with SEIU. And so I, I think that, you know, we are more than happy to try to alleviate the concerns. The last thing we want to do is to do something that would, would constitute an unfair labor practice. We are truly on the horns of a dilemma because we are shedding doctors. And the idea that we would wait for a year or more to, to make these sort of changes almost guarantees that we will have continued extensive turnover. And so I, I think the concerns are valid, but I think that Dr. Achilles Soren and Kim and Lorna have been doing the work to try to make sure that we aren't crossing a line while retaining our physicians. I would like to ask that we wait at least 30 days 
so that the docs can talk with you all. And if we don't need to have a year long union negotiation, I mean, if you're ready to give all this to the docs, sit with them and bring this to the table with the union and let's get this done in 90 days. Like I understand everything you're saying and with full confidence that this can be worked out very quickly because look at how generous you're being. Let's do it with the union and make it go fast and not do it here at the board of trustees where it doesn't, you know, there's just something about this. So I, I would like to make a motion that we delay this and not make a decision tonight. I wanna wait another 30 days. Bring the docs back. There a second to uh, Trustee Esteen's motion. I'll second it just for the sake of discussion. Uh, administration, would administration like to uh, weigh in on the uh, implications of a 30-day delay? Can, can I ask a question before we go on to that? Mm -hmm, sure. Just so that I'm clear. So the comment was made, um, Doctor, that you've gone around talking to folks. Were these formal meetings with the bargaining unit members? That's what I want to know because going around talking to people, but not sitting down in a formal manner where things are written down, there's a big difference. Because I do think we can get set up for an unfair labor practice. And the leadership of the union, the doctor leadership, they have to elect their own representatives for the bargaining table, right? And they have to have an opportunity to speak as a bargaining unit on these issues. Um, so has there been formal meet and confers or bargaining with the bargaining team that was elected by the MD leadership? Um, thank you, thank you for that question. If I, if I may respond, um, uh, the union has not been certified yet by PERB. We're awaiting certification. Um, there is no bargaining unit as of now. That said, the committees that were set up to do this work um, were widely representative, and I have had very regular meetings with the key physician organizers with their blessing to move forward with this work. And in fact, I'd be happy for them to vouch for um, all aspects of what we've been doing moving forward. I, I will say that um, there's a lot of documentation to suggest that this is something that the physicians want and need. Um, I'm happy to produce that as well. Um, we've been very transparent in board meetings and EBMG board meetings. We've been circulating that, um, uh, that information to all the physicians. Um, it's not just side conversations that have been happening. There have been formal communications, not with the union directly. And certainly we've had separate conversations with union, um, not only representatives, but also with attorneys. But um, there's no bargaining unit to speak of as of now because it's, it's not been certified. The other thing I'll say with respect to timeline is this already represents a delay <clears throat> in terms of the expectations that were set with the physicians. Um, last year, we started this work back in May. Um, this expectation was set that this would be completed by the end of the uh, calendar year. Um, to push it to February 2nd or February 9th is already a delay. The physicians are expecting a response. Um, and whether that's yes or no, we just want to know. Um, and so 
I do, I don't believe that a delay further than that, especially if we can produce evidence that this is what the physician, the desire of the physicians is, um, is going to be acceptable to them. Okay, there's a motion on the floor to delay. Um, let me ask a, a question uh, of uh, Trustee Bouquet and Mr. Jackson. Um, if we were to if we were to go ahead and approve the and approve uh, not Trustee Esteen's motion, but approve this contract as a finance committee. Uh, is it possible that some of the questions that are being raised by Trustee Blue and Trustee Esteen could be answered in time for the board to make a decision in consideration of their questions? And that way we wouldn't lose a whole month. So, so Trustee Bucks, go ahead. Uh, I'll just make a comment of process, and um, uh, and then I'm going to step back out because rem remember I am I employed by EBMG. Um, I, I it, Mr. Chair, uh, as you know, this would go if if approved by the Finance Committee, this would go into the consent agenda for our for the full board's approval in seven days from now. So so in theory if uh, the trustees who might oppose a vote could get the, the data they, they need, they could either oppose it or support it or abstain from it just as a, as a typical vote. So I think it's a, it's a great question that you've asked. And, and then I guess the question, which I'll say broadly is, what specificity of data would, would trustees need to move forward would be my question. And then I'll shut up now. <laughs> So I think that question is directed to uh, trustees Estine and Blue. Yeah, so I would like to, sorry, I can't see people, so there we go. Hey, Alan. So um, I would like to see something in writing from the union saying they're fine with this, something, so that I feel more, com so that I feel comfortable that rank and file positions who are active on the organizing campaign, signed a union card, actually support this, and they're okay with this. And it covers us for any kind of liability. Okay. I may. Um, I, I think that the suggestion that was proposed um, a moment ago about um, if it were approved tonight, then there would be a week to provide, to show the work to show the proof um, in the way that you just um, suggested, Trustee Blue, and it can be pulled from the consent agenda and discussed at the board meeting, but it would allow us to move forward because if we just defer for 30 days, I, I think that the implications for the medical staff are grave. Uh, uh, Trustee uh, Fox, Chair, Chair Fox, so we can defer to the full board. You don't have to approve it here. Uh, you can defer to the full board and and um, next week, if we have what Trustee Blue uh, mentioned there, um, something in writing, then that may be enough for you all at the full board. But um, that's an option as well. 
Okay, and if we if we pursue that avenue, uh, would it be correct to say we would then not have to bring it back through the finance committee again? Correct. Okay. Um, let me ask one question of uh, our CFO, and that is, uh, uh, the numbers aren't on the screen, but I think the increase, for, annual increase from where we are right now in, in the costs, okay, there it is, uh, it's about $9 million a year for the, for the next 12 months, and I understand that, that this contract, if approved, would be retroactive to January 1, 2022. So we have about a four and a half million dollar, I think, unbudgeted increase in our expenses for the rest of the year, um, or or is is an increase budgeted? The increase is not budgeted. Okay. Do you have a sense of? I mean, we're well ahead of budget right now, uh, about forty five million dollars ahead of budget. Uh, and this might not be a fair question to ask you, but you can. Uh, uh, judge that and answer one way or the other. Do you have a, do you feel uh, com fairly confident that our favorable variance will hold up for the rest of the year, even if we do approve this contract? I think that we will have uh, a lot more turnover that will be very grave for the organization. We did not have increases in our budget for many of the other um, um, groups that we have given increases to in the last six to nine months. There's been quite a few of them. Many of these groups have not had raises for a long time, including East Bay Medical Group. I think it's been more than two, maybe three years or more since they've had any increase. And I, I agree with Chitra that I think we're going to have a whole lot more turnover. And I think that will be very disruptive to the organization. Okay, thank you. Any Mr. Chair, may, Mr. Chair, may I ask a question of council? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and this is, goes to process. Um, council, uh, if um, this uh, committee approved it and it went to, it would go into the consent agenda for the full board, correct? Correct. What if it was a push? What, what if it was neither approval nor denial, but not a deferral? So uh, there are there are only four voting members in the room uh, right now. What 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 would happen then? True. So um, this committee uh, only has the uh, authority to recommend to the board. Uh, so the board can take this action on even in the case uh, that this committee uh, rejects uh, the, the approval of this uh, of this contract. Uh, now it will be um, a little awkward that the finance committee doesn't approve something and then the full board uh, then takes it on and approves it. But the full board has the authority to uh, enter into agreements. The finance committee only has the authority to recommend approval. My recollection and experience uh, is, is that though if something wasn't approved here, it almost never goes to full board. Is that correct? But yes. in theory, it could. It, correct. As a matter of practice, okay. that, that's right. Okay. Okay. I guess our chair has his first challenge of uh, of of the year. <laughs> Good luck, Mr. Chair. <laughs> well, um, 
The first order of business is to vote on, there's only one, there's one motion on the floor, which is trustee Esteen's motion that we need to vote on. Um, uh, I feel personally that it's important for the finance committee to approve this contract from a financial perspective, which is basically why it's here. And we can leave it to the full board uh, to discuss whether there are uh, labor issues that should cause it to, to not take the recommendation of the finance committee. I think that's beyond the purview of the finance committee. Um, if there are no further, if there's no further discussion on trustee Esteen's motion, uh, then I'd like to call for a vote. Okay, so for the motion to delay for 30 days, this contract, as I understand it, um, Trustee Blue. Yes. Trustee Esteen. Yes. Trustee Fox. No. Okay, so the, the motion to delay this contract for 30 days passes. What, is Trustee Splendorio still in the room? Mm -mm, no, he's gone. Okay. Uh, so I guess that means that we don't we don't vote on the uh, motion on the contract itself, right? Because we've we've already decided to delay. That, that's correct. And and, and uh, apologies, um, um, Mr. Chair. So, Council, for clarity, the thirty day. So this doesn't even allow it to come onto the uh, agenda for next week. Is that correct? Because you, the, the, the committee just voted on a 30-day delay. Correct. Uh, as, as we talked about, uh, Trustee Bouquet's matter of sort of custom, um, when finance has not approved, uh, the full board doesn't take it on. But technically, the full board uh, is the ultimate uh, approval um, uh, board. Yeah. I guess I need some clarification. Was that motion... To, to take 30 days for the finance committee or 30 days for the board? So the, the motion was to not, as I understand it, the motion was not to uh, recommend approval to the full board for next week uh, to take it back on to the finance committee uh, in March. But that, but that necessarily doesn't stop the full board from considering it next week if that's what the board wants to do. Correct. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So, so I think it passed, so there was an action. So uh, uh, again, Mr. Chair, apologies for questions in, in advanced planning. So I guess my question would be to uh, uh, sorry, is a clarification. Should this uh, agenda item appear on the next board meeting, what data would be needed in order to give uh, the secure, uh, to secure trustees uh, full consideration of their vote? I, I heard from one, and, and council tell me if I'm allowed to have this discussion. I think I am. Uh, uh, I heard from trustee Blue a written letter from the board uh, would meet um, Kind of her criteria to make to make a vote is that is that true, Trustee Blue? No, it's a letter from the union. Uh, sorry, sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, a letter, yeah. From, a the letter from the union. Okay, Trustee Esteen, uh, uh, 
would that meet your redress to uh, to um, have this to advance this dialogue to next week? I mean, I wanted 30 days so that all parties involved could go through the details, which includes the docs and the union. I mean, maybe it can come out of PERB. You know, maybe, maybe there is no need to delay and we can have real negotiations. Okay. All right. I want the doctors to have every single benefit that makes them want to work in Alameda Health System. I want our health system to be top-notch, well-staffed, and fully operational. And I want every doctor to have a pay raise. And also, I want to respect the process that they just went through yeah. to have their voices heard. And I feel like there's uh, a desire to rush through uh, this contract. Um, what happens if we hear from them? Madam Trustee, I couldn't agree with you more on the principle. I guess my question is, what data set is needed for you to have the confidence that that has occurred? Uh, I like Trustee Blue's idea to get a letter from the union, and I would love to have the docs, as many as possible, signing off on that as well. As many as possible docs, or? I mean, how many signed to be members of the union? 150? Or they vote on it or something. I mean, usually when there's a contract that's being negotiated and ratified, there's a vote that happens. I'm sorry, but that's the law. A vote happens. And I'm not seeing that. So, you know, as much as I, you know, I think the docs need to get what they need to get so that they stay with us. But there is a process that they went through, and we have to respect that process. Yeah, you know, I, what I, is the delay with PERBs? Let's push that along. I, I don't understand the delay. The cards have been submitted. There's a timeline they have to follow. And as far as I know, we are going to recognize them. We're not going to say, got to vote for recognition. We are respecting the majority who signed those cards. So I don't understand what the delay is with PERV so that we can get this ball rolling. Do we know? I can provide an update on that. Um, uh, the cards were submitted um, in uh, late November, early December. PERV came to us to uh, uh, recognize that they wanted to know what the scope of the bargaining unit would be. We needed a few weeks to figure out whether the leaders, physician leaders, would be in or out of the bargaining unit, and that required conver multiple conversations with them. Um, and so we filed for an extension to do that, which was, I thought, a successful process, given that many of them had differing opinions about whether they should be in or out. We decided to include them with, with their permission, um, and so that was submitted in early January. Um, we then did a little bit of back and forth on the language for certification. Now, now we're waiting to hear from PERB as of last week about the certification. Can we get the attorneys to move it? Like put some pressure on PERB and just get it done? Ahmad, <laughs> as I look at you. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> Trustee Blue, I think we're there. Uh, we're, we're, we're almost there uh, at the end of the process here. Right. Trustee Bouquet, do you have the what you need to go forward with the board meeting? I do. Thank you, sir. Okay. Unless there's any further discussion, we'll close out item D2. Uh, any further trustee comments before we adjourn the meeting? And uh, Rana, I understand we don't need a motion to adjourn the meeting. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. Thank you, everyone. We stand adjourned.